Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 2nd February, 2020. This evening we are joined by Dr. Andrew Collins, who continues his series Coping in Crisis, with a message entitled, The Bible and Grief. Well, good evening. Apologies for the fright at the beginning. Maybe we'll let Pastor Morrison speak on stress uh, next, uh, next time round. I had a drop-off to do, and I didn't factor the time in properly, so apologies uh, for that. Um, but thank you again for the welcome and for the invitation uh, to, to be here. It's really uh, it's a blessing uh, to have fellowship with you. But will you turn with me, please, in uh, our Bibles uh, into the New Testament and the letter of uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4. And verse 13, just some verses that will maybe just set a bit of direction for us. Um, We'll not be expounding them as such, but they will set a direction for us to think about this evening as we consider uh, this uh, difficult, sensitive topic uh, of grief. So Paul writes to these Thessalonians, and in chapter 4, verse 13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. Well, all of us will have been touched by grief at some point. Some may have been recently uh, bereaved among us. I lost my own mother actually during the course of last year, last uh, June time. Uh, and some less recently among you perhaps, but it may still feel like it was just yesterday. And at a talk like this, sometimes you, you can get someone speaking very generally about grief, and it mightn't feel exactly like your experience. And because it's general, it can, it can feel like it leaves you with questions. It can feel too like it, it brings to Uh, the surface, some of the pain. Grieving is hard. So please feel free to talk to uh, some of us afterwards if if you need to do that. Um, And particularly if if anything that arises this evening or that I say this evening in any shape or form makes things more difficult for you, please come and speak to me or to to, uh, one of the leaders. Uh, this evening, we'd be more than glad to, to speak with you. So grief is an experience that comes to everyone's door at some point. But why 
does it happen? Why do we experience the things that we experience? Can anything be done to help? Does, does grief have anything to say about me and my life? Well, some in trying to understand what grieving is all about have found it helpful to think about life as a journey. So life is heading in a certain direction with certain goals and a destination along a pathway, a roadway that seems comfortable and familiar. And that, in a sense, gives us purpose. It it gives us hope. We have a pathway. We have a goal. We have something to aim for. That's what life is like, and that's the way forward that we see. But then sometime... Sometimes things come into that pathway that we don't expect. Events and situations, losses that require a change in direction. Because suddenly the way forward that we expected just doesn't look the same anymore. The goals that we were aiming for have all changed. And we have to change our destination. We have to plot a new course. Life changes direction. And we call that change in direction and our response to that, we call that grief. A technical term that sometimes people use today is that it's a a reaction to adjustment. Makes sense, doesn't it? We're responding to that adjustment because of this change in life, this loss that has come in. And of course, that sort of change in our life can be painful and can bring all kinds of emotional reactions with it. And that's what we call grief. Now, why do we find that that change in direction with life so difficult? Well, I suppose it it makes sense when you think that we, 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 we find our current pathway just comfortable. We get used to it. It's familiar. We get into a routine of work and family life. And and then if we begin to move out of that or change direction, then it becomes stressful for us. You think of a bereavement within a marriage, the couple who did everything together, and that was the way forward for them. That was what they were looking forward to. But now it's left the, the remaining partner having to survive on their own. Another reason that we find that change difficult is that it means giving up on those goals that we cherish. Perhaps we were looking forward to that retirement uh, where we would be able to enjoy time together more. And yet now we've lost that. The change has taken that goal away. Now it all looks different. We can't really see a way forward. I suppose another reason why it's difficult is that, well, we're just creatures of habit, aren't we? Uh, Life gets into a routine and a pattern, and we don't like that to change. Again, that, that husband or wife that has been bereaved of their spouse, and suddenly this new direction means for them taking on new things, new skills that they hadn't had to take on before. Grief is a response to loss. And of course, there can be all kinds of of types of loss in our lives. Uh, Losses in relationships, separation, divorce, there can be a sense of of grieving after that. Uh, Maybe a conflict has arisen with someone and and that relationship has been broken. And again, there's a sense of, of grieving and loss there. 
other experiences in life, hard experiences like infertility, miscarriage, they can all cause this experience of grief. When there are losses too in relation to our health, maybe we face a life-threatening or a terminal illness, or, or suddenly we've, we've entered into a period where we're not able to do as much, a period of disability. Uh, those things, again, involve a loss, don't they? That change of direction where everything has to, has to be different. Losses in our, in our home and our living circumstances, maybe even moving house. People can find that, that change, that, that loss, if you like, of what's familiar and neighbors and friendships and so forth can find it very, very difficult. Emigration. Children leaving home. Sometimes we don't think about that, but when it gets to the point where your children are maybe leaving home, they're, they're what is it they say, flying the nest. Um, again, that can be a time of a sense of loss and, and, and grieving. And then losses in relation to our job, of course, unemployment, redundancy, even retirement. There's a, there's a kind of grieving that can come isn't there? Whenever, again, we, we lose the familiarity, we lose the routine, we lose that sense of purpose that our employment gives us. All of those are examples, everyday life examples, aren't they, of experiences that require that change in direction and can all cause grief. Just a few words uh, to try and define them a little bit, although they're more or less, they more or less all mean the same kind of thing, don't they? But bereavement, I suppose, just means the loss of something that really matters personally and emotionally, whether it's a person in our lives or that job, as I mentioned, or even in some cases a pet, something that has meant something to us personally, a role in life. The loss of that is the bereavement. The grieving then, in a sense, is our response to that how it affects us emotionally, and how we're feeling. And mourning is really then the way we express that outwardly, not often thought about so much these days, but would have been, of course, traditionally that there would have been a period when black would have been worn, and that would have been known as the period of mourning, how that grieving, that loss, the bereavement was expressed outwardly. So let's think a little bit then about how grief does affect us. What does this process of grieving feel like? Now, I've put stages there in inverted commas because it's often thought about that way. You'll have heard about the stages of grieving, but there's a, there's a slight danger with that because it can make it feel like these are stages that I have to go through. And if I somehow don't go through them, then I'm not grieving properly. I'm not so sure that that's really the case. They maybe express that there are certain, there's a certain process that we all go through, uh, but I think it's a very individual process. We will all grieve in different ways and something I'll want to emphasize uh, this evening, something that's quite important. But there can be certain features of our grieving, certain ways that it will affect us that seem to impact at different times. And so first of all, we want to think about this numbness. And, and often people describe that more towards the, the beginning of their loss. One of the first reactions can be of just shock, disbelief. We may not feel anything at all. We may not be able to just take it in. And that's what, 
one way of thinking about this phase. The mind just can't take in what has happened. I was in a daze. It didn't feel real. It felt like I was just existing. That's the kind of thing that that people say. And sometimes people get a little bit afraid of that. They think maybe this is not healthy. I'm not really feeling it, and I should be feeling it. But I wonder, is it just, well, part, first of all, of us feeling naturally overwhelmed at this loss? We could say even facing this terrible enemy. The Bible calls it our greatest enemy, our last enemy, death. Uh, We are facing that greatest enemy in a sense where we're just overwhelmed. And there's something really that's quite normal and quite natural about that, isn't there? And I wonder too, uh, is it something just about how God has designed us? That in a way at the beginning we, we, we don't get so emotional. Uh, there's just almost a disbelief which allows us to get through those early parts of the loss where maybe a lot is expected of us. There are a lot of practical things to be done. Funeral to be arranged, other practical matters. And in a sense that's a way of easing us into the pain of the loss. So that first part of the of the, the process, if you like, of, of numbness. Sometimes people call it denial or disbelief, um, almost as if sometimes we'd see that there's a, there's a spoken acknowledgement of, of the death, but almost like there's no emotion uh, to go with that. It's almost like it hasn't registered. For some people, it's, 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 there's almost a refusal to allow it to register, Uh, We don't want to almost let memories of the deceased in because that's bringing it home and making it more real. The person who doesn't like to to look at photographs of the deceased, the person who won't visit the grave. Again, those things can be just natural, natural uh, experiences for us in our grieving. And often, for, for many people, and again, I want to emphasize this is not everyone's experience, but for many people... This can last for for days, even to a few weeks or to a few months, uh, on and off, that experience of numbness or disbelief. Often, though, that will begin to give way to, I suppose, a phase that we could call yearning. And if in that first phase, it's almost like the mind just can't take in what has happened, well, then the second phase is when the mind is beginning to take it in, but beginning to search for the, the person who has died. There is a yearning. We're beginning to face the reality of it, but then there's a searching after, a pining perhaps, after the person who has gone. We can embark on something of a search, trying to make sense I think, of of the loss, trying to make sense of of what has happened. It's almost like it's not meant to be this way. This doesn't quite make sense, and so we're still searching for the person to be there. And of course, that makes makes perfect sense to us from the Bible, doesn't it? When we think that really, apart from the fall, things were not meant to be this way. We were meant to to have an eternal life, and of course, that's why our Saviour has come to bring that to us. In this phase of yearning then, we we can embark on a lot of these other, and experience a lot of these other features. We can embark on on reminiscence, going over the past, 
going over the old stories, going over memories, recalling what kind of person uh, the deceased was. It's one of those functions of the wake, and quite a healthy thing can be a source of comfort for people where that going over the stories, again, just helps bit by bit to, to help us accept that the person is now gone and to bring us to that, to that point. Hallucinations, I've, I've mentioned there. And that's just to say that sometimes in this phase, the mind can begin to play tricks on us. Uh, commonly, it's experienced as believing that, that you've seen the person maybe notice them across the road, and, and you could have sworn it was them. Or can actually happen as well, commonly for, for us, whenever we're maybe drifting off to sleep at night, and uh, in the darkness of the room, you can think that you've, you've seen the other person, the mind playing tricks upon you. Again, all very normal is what I want to emphasize to you this evening. Part of that search, if you like, part of the mind trying to take in what has happened and make sense of it. Um, and the, these can be normal experiences. Anger, uh, that sense of it's wrong that this person has now gone and we're left to pick up the pieces. It's just not fair. Guilt, I should have done something to prevent this. I'm to blame. If only I'd, I'd phoned at that time, if only we hadn't had that argument, if only we'd had that chance to, to sort such and such a thing out. Then, and we can mull over these guilty feelings. We'll come back to those a little bit later. And some of these ways of thinking can then just give rise to some of those other um, emotions that I've listed there. Fear, anxiety, how will I cope? The worries that that can come in with that. The loneliness, coming back to the, the, the empty home. The hopelessness. I talked about that way forward, but then sometimes we just can't see that way forward uh, without the, the person who has died. We can't envisage any kind of future without them. And then helplessness. Well, how, will I, how will I manage? They, they, they did everything, and taking on new responsibilities just seems like, like too much. And this, these experiences in this yearning phase, if you like, can be lasting on and off for a number of months into even a number of years in some cases. But of course, the hope is that with time, those experiences then begin to lessen. They begin to, to give way. And it's not that we're saying that uh, we, we, we properly get over the death, because often it's not that we get over it because life has changed and gone in that different direction. But perhaps it's better to say that we come to, to a point of, of acceptance, of accepting what has happened, of, of beginning now to adjust, of beginning, if you like, to move along that, that new direction, to set new goals, to find new relationships, uh, to accept the changes that the death has brought, to take on those new challenges. And life then begins just to get it a little bit more reorganized into that new direction and with those new goals. Just a few points then at this point, remember, remember we're asking what is this thing called grief that we're, we're trying to, to understand this evening? What's the experience of it? And again, I want to emphasize that it's a very individual thing. There are no two people 
that will grieve in the same way, even within a family, when there's been a loss within a family. And I think even within our own family recently, even myself and my brother, there were just the two of us. The, the two of us responded in, in differing ways to the loss of, of our mother. And same then with our own wives and with our children. There was a very individual way that we all responded to that. And it's not that anyone wasn't grieving properly. It's just that we grieve in our own individual way. So we've got to be careful that we're not looking on at others and thinking that there's something wrong with the way they're grieving. It's just that it's an individual thing and we'll come back in a moment to try and understand that. Again, these, these three, if you like, phases, it's not that they're neat stages that you have to go through and one finishes and another one starts. There's very much an ebbing and a flowing through them as well as you begin to just move along that process. Time scales are certainly not set in stone. And the other thing just to say is that different cultures will grieve differently. It's important, I think, in this day and age when more cultures are entering into our communities, um, people will, will grieve differently in different uh, cultures. Um, some cultures go through a much more ritualized form of grieving and mourning. I mentioned a moment ago that, that we do grieve uh, differently, and there are certain factors that can make our, our, our grieving more uh, complicated, if you like. And by complicated, all I really mean there is that for some people, it can feel like we just get a bit more stuck in our grieving. That, that the hurt, the pain of it, the difficulty of it doesn't seem to lift. It seems to get stuck into something that is hard to move through. What are some of the factors in that? Well, some of the, 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 the reasons that, a, that a, a bereavement can be more complicated is that, is, for example, the, the place of death, that where question. Um, certainly I've seen it in counselling that if the death of your loved one was in, was in a, a faraway place, maybe a different country, um, that can make it more difficult just to uh, get into that place of acceptance. If there were a number of deaths at the same time, if a colleague at work who um, just over the summer, her father died, and then during the wake for her father, her mother, her mother also very, very suddenly uh, died, probably in relation to the stress of that. And that, though, though that successive deaths or coincidental deaths can also just make our grieving that, that, uh, that more difficult, as you'll understand. The kind of death, the nature of it, if it's been sudden or untimely or violent or traumatic, again, it can be more difficult uh, to, to grieve. And our social network is a very, very important factor. It's not always taken into account as we think about those phases or, or stages of grieving, but, but where there are closely knit families and communities, that can be much more helpful in helping us to, to move through our experience of loss. And indeed, even the attitude of our, the society to death and, and to dying can either help or hinder. So social factors are important there too. But then there are inside factors. That's a bit clunky. I really just mean things that are going on inside of us. Well, what are some of the things that are inside of us that can make grieving more complicated? And, and this first one is very important, the significance of the person to us. 
Um, And I think that explains one of the reasons why, even within a family, the loss of one member of that family can be experienced very, very differently by members within the family. Because that person will have had a different relationship to each of the people within the family and therefore will have held a different significance to each individual. Uh, The relationship is different. Their significance is different. Did they play a big part in the person's life? Were they influential? Were they important? Were they deeply loved? What was the nature of the relationship between the, the deceased and each of the members of the family? And because that will all have been different, it's one of the reasons why even within a family then grieving can look very, very different. It's also one of the reasons why within a family, for example, a more distant relative or even a friend can be felt a lot more deeply than maybe someone who was closer to you by relationship. Um, And it's because that other person just may have played a more significant part in your life. They may have had more influence in your life. There was a more intimate, a deeper relationship, and therefore the grieving, the sense of loss of that person will be more significant. The quality of the relationship is also important. Sometimes if, the, if it was an emotionally complicated or love-hate relationship, well then the, 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 the grieving can be that bit more complicated. And then sometimes there are, there are unanswered questions, which again I'll come back to just in a, in a, in a moment, which are important to think about. How do we help those who are grieving? Well, if we just think through those various phases, how can we support one another? Well, at, those, at that early stage where, the, where there's more shock and numbness and disbelief perhaps and more distress, and when the mind can't really maybe take in everything that has happened, well then that's not a time often for deep discussion or trying to answer the big questions, because often it will just go over someone's head. Those earlier uh, parts, those earlier stages, if you like, of the grieving are really more a time for sympathy, drawing near, listening, allowing the story to be told so that that acceptance can grow. Being practical, there are things to be done, visitors to the home, tea to be made, and so on. And being a friend at that time is probably much more important than than what you actually say. Um, Probably, though, helpful to just mention not to to, to get into conflict at that time because often it's a sensitive time for everybody and and families find that whenever they get into conflict at times of of loss like that, well, then those sorts of conflicts sadly can, can last and be remembered for a very long time. So it's a time not to, to interfere, if at all possible. What about then when, we, when the person moves into that yearning phase? How do we support and help them then? Well, we, we keep listening, keep hearing how they're doing, um, reassuring them that, that many of the things they're experiencing are just going to be a normal part of grieving, as, as we've seen this evening. Um, but then also facing some of the issues honestly. And being careful about how we do that. Remember what I said a moment ago. It's not a time for for lecturing. It's not a time for big explanations. 
We speak the truth in love, and we speak it in season. We speak it at the right time. We give words that are, that are appropriate. What does Paul say in Ephesians 4:29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, judging the occasion, judging where the person is at so that the words we give them will be fitting and will give grace to the hearer. So we're going gently, we're going sensitively with people. We're, we're, yes, we're, we're, we're wanting to get to the, the heart of the issue, get to what's most important, um, but we want to be careful that we're, we're going um, at a pace that is appropriate and gentle and sensitive for them. But there is a time, isn't there, to face some of the issues, face some of the questions honestly. And, and I want to move on in this next slide to just, I suppose, deal with some of the questions that can arise in our, in our grieving. And I do want to be ever so careful. There's a huge risk that I completely just break the, the rule that I've just given you, which is, you know, be careful what you say and say it at the right time. And of course, um, there may be those here for whom some of these questions will, will hit on, on sensitive issues. So as I said at the beginning, please don't, don't leave. If anything that, that has been said here is, is raising more questions or making things more, more difficult. But here are some of the, I guess, some of the questions that people can honestly be, be asking during times of loss. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. If the, if the bereaved person feels angry, and we said, remember a moment ago, that's a normal experience, then, then it's important that we, that we deal with that. Um, they might feel angry that there was unfinished business with the deceased. They might feel angry that there was some failure in care. And we've got to face those, those matters honestly. Perhaps there was unfinished business. Perhaps there were failures in care. And those are things that we've got to look at and bring before a God who is wise, a God who is just, a God who overrules everything in the timing of a death, where relations were at, even the kind of care that a person has received. This God who, who we were just actually singing about in that hymn before I, I came up to speak, this, this, this God who is so big and great and majestic and, and sovereign that we can, how can we question this God? And that's actually so important, isn't it, at times like that when we have real questions and issues like this. This God who appoints the, the times and, and limits of our lives Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Or Acts 17, where Paul is preaching and he speaks of this God and says of him that from one man he made every nation of men and he determined the times set for them. We, we try to listen, we try to understand, we try to bring and be honest about this anger and we try to bring it before the living God who rules over all. And yet there is also, I would want to say, a sense in which that anger, as I mentioned it, that there is in grieving is just a very honest experience that we are facing this enemy of death. 
and it was not the way it was meant to be. And there's a sense in which when we think about it, God himself is angry at death because death is the wages of sin and God is against that. And there's a sense in which we are right to be angry at this enemy and at the fall and at the consequences of the fall. There's a sense, I think, in which our anger is is part of just an honest response to the way things um, have broken and fallen in this world. It shouldn't have happened. There's a sense in which, of course, then that is true. I could have done more if only, and in a sense that's tapping into the issue of guilt, isn't it? Perhaps Perhaps we didn't do all that we could, and and there can be countless reasons for that. Or or indeed, sometimes we can feel guilty, but there's just no good reason for the guilt. And it's important for us to face it, rather than just gloss over it. Where there is real guilt, where there is real failure, it, it, it drives us, doesn't it, to the cross, where all of our failures and omissions have been dealt with, and paid for, and covered. And yet more often than not, I think the guilt in our grieving is just a feeling for which we go looking for a reason, a bit like I mentioned the last time with depression. And sometimes even with that guilt, it's because we're we're judging ourselves, we've set up a standard, an expectation of ourselves, and we feel we've fallen short of it. We, We felt that we should have done more. We felt that we should have called more. We felt that we should have got the doctor sooner, and yet all of those around us, they saw that we were balancing all kinds of other responsibilities, but we've set up that expectation, that standard that we feel we've fallen short of, and the problem is not so much what we neglected to do. The problem is that we set up this expectation of ourselves, which isn't a standard that God holds us to, and he's a gracious God. And Christ has fulfilled all the true standards for us and we are free from those now because of grace. I could have done more. A normal and natural response in our grieving. I just can't forgive myself. It's the kind of thing, isn't it, that we can say in all kinds of situations in life, but it does come up also in our grieving. You've heard people say it. You've maybe said it yourself. I know that God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. And again, often there, the, 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 one of the reasons for that can be that we are again, we're, we're judging ourselves. And, and we're judging ourselves by, by another standard, our own standard, that maybe we've set up alongside God's standard. And we can so easily just become blinkered to the fact that Christ has come and met all the standards for us, and forgiven and overrules all of our true failures and does set us free. And it's so important that we bring that into our experience of grieving when these questions arise. I know what he was really like. There can be a conflict sometimes within when we're grieving because after a death, the deceased's reputation can be portrayed as, as near perfect. 
and we've all been in that experience, that the good qualities are focused on, and that that's not a wrong thing, but the, the weaknesses and the failures are overlooked. And sometimes for those that are closest to the person, that causes attention because they knew that in the home, well, they weren't always the easiest to live with, and things weren't always pleasant. And it's important, again, that we are able to acknowledge that honestly with the person. They're able to have space to be honest about that. How will I cope? We've talked about this already, but it's an opportunity, isn't it, for us to, to, to sit down with a person, to ask where do the, the, the concerns lie practically, and even to remind them that, that even whilst that perhaps in the case of a spouse, their husband or wife was still alive, even though perhaps they felt they depended so much upon that other person, ultimately was it not always the Lord who was always the helper? Was it not always the Lord who was truly with them and helping them? And that real helper has not left you. He has not left you. Where is he now, of course, can be a very sensitive question. Sometimes we have confidence. Someone has made a clear profession of faith. There was evidence that they were a believer. We can have confidence that they're with the Lord. And sometimes we don't have that confidence. I've had that experience in my own, my own family. It's hard. And I think... In heaven, there will be surprises. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be there, Jesus told us. And I think sometimes there can be surprises in the other direction. Um, I often think about many who would have known that thief upon the cross and who never knew what was going to be recorded later about him in the Gospels. Many who knew him and who knew only about his crucifixion beside Jesus, would have been shocked to have thought that he was in paradise with the Lord. And there, there may be many last-moment calls from God and calls unto God in faith. And in a sense, we have to leave that, don't we, again, with that God that we've been singing about this evening, that God of this immense mercy who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance through Christ. Now, these are, are difficult questions, aren't they? It's important that we look at these questions honestly, but remember the mind is searching, yearning, sometimes may not be able to take a lot in. We've got to be so careful that we are addressing these things in love, speaking truth in love and being careful with the bruised reeds that we are gentle with them. So those questions then that we need to, to, um, to deal with. And then finally, just as we look at, at dealing with uh, grief in this last stage, the, the reorganization. As the issues begin to get resolved and the yearning reduces and we begin to get some better days, the, the clouds parting some days, the light shining through and those days get better and become more frequent and the bad days get less bad, you'll still get the odd rotten day hitting you sometimes right out of the blue and that's very normal in grieving. It's the overall trend that, it's, that, it, that is important. But life begins to get reorganized. People begin to see that 
the Lord still has a pathway for them to go along. He has still prepared works for them to walk in, Ephesians 2. He's still bringing to completion the good work he has begun in the person's life. And that means that there is still a pathway forward and there is still a new direction with new goals. And so we can help the person with that, looking for those new opportunities, finding those new interests and outlets and even those new relationships. Let me very briefly mention grief in in children because sometimes people are are keen to to understand this. It can be ignored um, often because we think children are are unaffected. Um, Up until about the age of five, um, a child will expect um, often a dead person to return because they haven't really yet formed a concept of death or or dying. Towards later primary school, around about eight years old to ten, a child begins to develop an adult concept of of death. But but up until the age of ten, give or take, we've got to be sensitive to the fact that a, a child's world is really quite small. And when something bad happens in it like that, the child can often feel that they themselves have somehow been responsible the death of a parent, and the the child, just in their own mind and in their own world, thinks that somehow they caused that. And it can be very important to begin to talk that through with a child and give them opportunities to see exactly what they are thinking and to help children begin to come to terms. And there are lots of nice practical wee ways that sometimes counsellors use, memory books, keeping mementos and so forth, writing out their memories that can help children come to terms with Uh, the death of someone near to them. Sometimes people will say, I'll never get over it. Life will never be the same again. And as we've seen, it's not so much a letting go or a getting over it, but it's it's a different direction. How do we begin then to, to understand this biblically just as we, we come to a close this evening? Let me mention briefly a group of men. Uh, you'll, you'll see in a moment, you'll, you'll know in a moment who they are. And they went through a very complicated grief. Uh, a group of young men who had to face the murder of one of their friends, an untimely uh, loss. This young man was only in his mid-30s or his early 30s. Uh, it was a government-led killing. It was an unjust killing. The young man was innocent. It was in circumstances of fear. Most of his friends fled for fear that they might be implicated as well. And the, 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 their friend who had been killed had been a huge part of their lives for the previous three years or so. And it left many unanswered questions for his friends. Uh, what was going on? Why did this happen? Well, the death, of course, was Jesus' execution at the hands of Pilate and the Jewish leaders. And His friends must have felt a terrible pain and loss, going into almost a denial, a yearning, a searching. And yet, quite quickly, we see with them that their lives suddenly become reorganized and are full of purpose and determination and hope. And we've got to ask the question, well, what is it that made the difference with Jesus' friends? And of course, what made the difference is that their friend Jesus didn't remain 
dead. On the third day, as you know, he came back to life. He met with them. He was seen by many witnesses. And we have this historical record today of his appearances. And after he had risen, he said these words. He said, I will never leave you. Grief, as we've seen, is about loss, loss through death and all kinds of other losses in life. So how do we find something that is permanent in a, in a world that is just full of losses around us, a permanent relationship that can never be lost? Well, we find it, of course, in this relationship, this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what he promises is a relationship with him that will never end. Everything else in life is going to change and disappear. But that relationship, nothing can take it away. I will never leave you. Now, how come? How come death? How come that ultimate loss that we've been discussing this evening, how come that cannot take away our relationship with Jesus? Jesus himself explained that at a point in his life when he lost a friend to death. Jesus himself facing the death of a friend, a friend he loved, a friend he had visited, a friend he stayed with, a friend who was significant to him. And when Jesus faced this friend's death, we read that Jesus was troubled, that he was distressed, that he wept, that he experienced a lot of those features that we've talked about this evening. And then, of course, Jesus does this astounding thing. He takes this friend's dead, lifeless, decaying body, and he calls it to life again. And Jesus' friend, Lazarus, rises. It must have been absolutely astonishing. And in that act, what was Jesus saying? He was saying, I am facing. What was he saying to all of us, to all mankind throughout all ages? He was saying, I am facing your greatest enemy, death. And I have won. I have won. He says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Never die. Jesus giving eternal life. Jesus giving a life that somehow even our physical death does not interrupt, shall never die. Now that's the hope that is the answer to our grief. Why is grief so hard? Because death is an enemy. And yet, at the cross and on that first Easter Sunday, death was beaten. Hope is real. Heaven is a reality. And like the disciples, we do not grieve. Like those who have no hope. Because Jesus will never 
leave us, either in our grieving or in our death. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, do we really grasp the hope that you give us in these truths? Do we really grasp deeply by faith the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, what it means to have a life that will never end in him, what it means to have an eternal life that not even our physical death itself can interrupt, our relationship with him that he will never leave us, not even in the moment of our dying. Oh God, we pray that the reality of this hope, strength, of this hope might be with us and upon us. I pray, Father, for all of us here present. I pray this evening that in whatever situation we're gathered this evening, wherever we are, perhaps having faced losses recently or even further back, and yet they still seem so hard. Oh, Lord, may we be met this evening with the hope of Jesus Christ himself, in whose name we pray. Amen.